Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of land and waters that this podcast is recorded on. From Mamma Mia, I'm Alfie Scott. This is The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. Last week, a breakthrough in the unsolved murder of former ACDC manager Crispin Dye made headlines around the country. The musician was killed in 1993 in what has long been assumed was a gay hate crime. And an investigation has shone a light on Dye's death, revealing forensic evidence that could point to his killer. It's part of an inquiry unfolding in New South Wales right now that's looking at gay and transgender hate crimes and how they've been handled by police. The inquiry is investigating barriers in the criminal justice system that may have stopped these crimes from being solved. It's the first of its kind in Australia, but there have been calls to look at the way these violent crimes have been handled by police in other states. So what have been the issues in policing that led to these failures in investigating murders of people in the LGBTQI community? And what else has this landmark inquiry revealed? And a warning, this episode may contain some graphic and confronting descriptions, so please use caution. But first, I'm Claire Murphy with the news headlines for Tuesday, August 29. Qantas has revealed the value of flight credits it holds is $100 million higher than reported as the airline defends its billion-dollar profit. Qantas senior executives, including current boss Alan Joyce, came under fire during a parliamentary inquiry on Monday, just days after posting the $2.47 billion profit, with Jetstar chief Stephanie Tully saying her airline holds about $100 million in credits yet to be redeemed by customers. This is on top of the $370 million worth of unclaimed credits reported last week, which is set to expire at the end of the year. The hearing was told that media campaigns, advertising and text messages were being used to encourage people to claim their credits and get the balance to zero before the end of December. In the wake of the Adelaide Crows' loss to Sydney that saw a goal denied but in review showed it was good, denying them a spot in the final series, new AFL football boss Laura Kane says improving technology for score reviews is one of her top priorities. The league has been trialling ball-tracking hardware in the hopes it will eventually assist goal umpires and score review operators, but there's no timeline on when that will be implemented at the top level, with further trials set to be conducted in lower-level competitions. In the Crows' incident denying what could have been a match-winning goal, umpires did not call for a review. Replays later showing the shot should have been called a goal. The AFL, since declaring an extra supervisor, will work in the league's video review centre throughout the final series. 
The bodies of three Marines killed in a chopper crash north of Darwin are yet to be retrieved as emergency services begin a third day of a complex recovery mission. 20 US Marines were transferred to the Royal Darwin Hospital on Sunday after the military exercise turned to tragedy, their Osprey aircraft plunging to the ground on remote Melville Island. The emergency call describing a significant fire at the crash site. Northern Territory Police Commissioner Michael Murphy saying it's incredible that so many managed to survive the crash. The recovery mission is expected to go for at least 10 days as crews work through the rubble. After three weeks of experiencing stomach issues, a cough, fever and night sweats, doctors have finally found the cause of a New South Wales woman's issues, pulling a live eight-centimetre parasite from her brain. In what's believed to be a world first in a human, the parasite was believed to have been caught from a carpet python, sending the 64-year-old to hospital in 2021, but the cause was not discovered until 2022, when doctors performed a brain scan after she started to become depressed and forgetful, doctors seeing the abnormality in her right frontal lobe. The parasite usually lives in the esophagus of a python who then sheds the eggs in its faeces. The woman believed to have picked it up after she collected and cooked a type of native grass called warrigal greens. The Spanish Soccer Federation has asked UEFA to suspend it from international competition because of government interference over demands to remove its controversial president, Luis Rubiales, from office. The move was seen as an attempt to silence Rubiales' critics, including government ministers who've asked for his removal. Calling for the suspension would ban Spanish teams from competing and could sway public opinion in favour of letting him keep his job. Rubiales has received a torrent of criticism from around the world after after he kissed Spanish player Jenny Hermosa on the lips without her consent after they won the World Cup. That's your latest news headlines in a moment. Today's Deep Dive. Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. Crispin Dye, a musician and former manager of ACDC, was found on the ground in Darlinghurst in the early hours of the 23rd of December, 1993. He'd been out celebrating the release of his debut solo album before he was discovered unconscious and bleeding. Dye had suffered a major injury to his head. The 41-year-old was transported to hospital, but he died from his injuries two days later on Christmas Day. The investigation into his death went nowhere, and the crime, which was suspected to be a hate crime because Di was thought to be gay or bisexual, went unsolved. But a New South Wales inquiry into potential gay and transgender hate-related deaths has now focused on what happened to Di. Pieces of clothing that were never sent for forensic analysis have been inspected for the first time, and pieces of paper that went undetected in an evidence box for almost 30 years have also been found. The DNA results from the analysis point to a man that may have had something to do with Dye's murder. 
The murder investigation is part of the special commission of inquiry into LGBTIQ hate crimes that's happening in New South Wales right now. It started late last year, and it's looking into violent gay and transgender hate crimes that happened between 1970 and 2010. It's trying to solve murders and disappearances throughout that period, and the police failures that meant these crimes were never solved. It's also shining a light on the callous attitude that some police have had to violence that's inflicted on the LGBTQI community. To explain a little bit more about this, I spoke to Dr Justin Ellis, who's a senior lecturer in criminology at the Newcastle School of Law and Social Justice. Justin, do you mind explaining a little bit about police culture back in the 70s and the way it could have put up these barriers that prevented justice from happening? So if we go back to 1970, the police of the time are going to reflect the culture of the time. So if you think about it, homosexuality was still criminalised. It wasn't decriminalised in New South Wales till 1984. So this is where the Commission is trying to identify in which cases there might have been bias driven by anti-queer hate and whether the police investigations were biased as a consequence of that. Justin, how is this inquiry actually happening? Who's getting a chance to have their voice heard? So this special commission of inquiry, it's important to note that it is a special commission. It has an emphasis on transparency. The inquiry wants to hear from the public. They're trying to solve unsolved cases. And so far they've heard from hate crime academics. They've heard from people that were affected by the cases, so family, friends, community members that were connected to the people that have lost their lives in in some of these cases, and a range of other experts. It's a public hearing to gather information and to try and solve some of these issues, but it's also set up to scrutinise the extent to which bias had driven some of these crimes and the effectiveness of police investigations of the cases. Presumed hate crimes like the brutal murders of 69-year-old Richard Slater, 41-year-old Barry Jones and 36-year-old trans woman and beloved drag queen Wendy Wayne are among over 80 cases that are being looked into. The inquiry is also looking into court attitudes to hate crimes, specifically what was known as the gay panic defence, which was a partial defence in court that meant violent perpetrators could get off with lighter sentences by saying that they felt threatened by an advance by a gay person, which led to them committing the crime. That defence was only ended in New South Wales by a bill in 2014. So what has the inquiry discovered so far? And what does it mean for the LGBTQI community to see an inquiry like this happening in New South Wales? Brent Mackey is the Director of Policy Strategy and Research at ACON, which is an HIV and LGBTQIA plus health organisation based in New South Wales. ACON were actually one of the organisations who started the call for the inquiry back in 2018 when they published a report looking at these killings. Brent, where did this inquiry begin? How did the call for it actually start? So in the early 2010s, we wrote a report with an ACON called In Pursuit of Justice. This was really in response to a report that was being done by the New South Wales Police Force called Operation Parable. And we were aware of the development of that report and the failings of that report. There was really, uh, we were really the shortcomings of Operation Parable. And so we, we did our own review and to the public evidence that was available. So we looked at 
newspaper reports. We looked at uh, people's testimonies. We looked at a whole range of stuff. And we identified around 80 plus cases that were suspicious, that were deserved more investigation. These were cases of people who, who were in places like known beats who died in, in circumstances that, you know, were very suspicious uh, people who are, are, you know, police had determined it had been suicide when they had jumped off a cliff, but it was clear from the evidence that the people uh, concerned weren't, you know, depressed or, or you know, uh, thinking about suicide. They had plans for the future and had, had been pushed off cliffs. And that happened in a number of cases. We produced this report in pursuit of justice and really brought to the fore these, I think it was around 81 cases that we um, really thought the police should be looking at. And there may well be many more. We're obviously not investigators. ACON is a health organisation, but using the available evidence in the public domain, we could see that these cases were really suspicious and that the police needed to do more to look into those. Why was it so important to ACON that an inquiry like this got off the ground? Many of these crimes, for us, it was clear that they were hate crimes. It was clear that people were attacked and bashed and murdered in really horrible circumstances, but had not been properly investigated by the police, had not been investigated to find the perpetrators of those crimes. So our role has been really advocating strongly with the government. We advocated with other groups to get the inquiries. There was the inquiry into gay hate crimes, a parliamentary inquiry in New South Wales, which led to the commission, the special commission into gay hate crimes, which is still ongoing. It's announced recently that it's been extended until December this year, and they need to get through a lot of evidence. And there is a lot of evidence and testimony and such uh, to get through. What are some of the things that have been exposed so far by the inquiry? It's really uncovered some of the shortcomings that the police had in, in those investigations, some of the failures that the police did in those investigations, such as losing evidence or not investigating, not pursuing crimes or not even recognising them as gay hate crimes. So it's incredibly important to the families, loved ones and friends and to the community as a whole that you know justice has been seen to be done in, in these cases because it wasn't that long ago like the 1980s isn't that long ago, the 1970s isn't that long ago. I was certainly alive in, in the 1980s and experienced what it was like to be gay at that time in Sydney and the concerns that we had around just, you know, being publicly out in the streets and the threats of violence that you frequently faced. Can I ask, have the police been cooperative with this inquiry? Look, eh, I, I, you know, that's part of a question I suppose best answered by the commission. The police... They've been giving evidence and they've been involved in that. I wouldn't say that they're necessarily being the most cooperative. Certainly the commissioner sort of has admonished them at times, especially at the beginning of the inquiry, for their lack of cooperation. But I understand they are being more cooperative now. I think more more should be done, though, and more should be done by the police to actually engage with this process and actually do more to try and solve these crimes. They haven't been as cooperative as they should. It is their role, it is their job to you know, investigate crime and deal with these matters, and they need to do more. What do you think it means to the LGBTQIA plus community now to see this inquiry happening? Do you think it could change the relationship between gay and transgender people and the police in New South Wales? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I think there's two parts to it. 
it, it certainly is the case for the people who were friends, lovers, family members of the people who who have been killed. Dealing with this is incredibly important, and it would be extremely important for those members of the community to get justice on on those things. And I think that's something that is essential to to take place. But it is also really important for the broader community and how we, as a community and the police, relate to each other. We need to know and have trust in the police, and we need to know that they will be doing justice for our members of the LGBTI communities. And I think going through this process and at least dealing with these cases properly is a long way to rebuilding that trust and rebuilding that confidence that the community has. Because, you know, for a very long time, the relationship between the police and the LGBTI community is not being great. Even today, there are incidences that, you know, cause us incredible stress and incredible harm for our relationship. So this is a major step. There would also be a whole range of new processes within the police force in terms of the training of new police officers, ways that they engage with the community, you know, links between the LGBTI communities and the police force that could be built and enhanced as a result of this inquiry so that this doesn't happen again, so that the police really do respect and work with the LGBTI community as much as possible. The final report from the Special Commission of Inquiry into LGBTIQ hate crimes will be released in December this year. But in the meantime, all the reports and statements are publicly available on the Commission's website. Thanks so much for listening. The Quickie is produced by myself, Elfie Scott, and our executive producer, Callie Borg, with audio production by Jacob Round. 